Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying we will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as you have heard now a couple of times, it is Reformation Sunday today. Uh, Reformation Sunday always falls on the Sunday uh, just before or on October 31st, because that is the date in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses against indulgences in the castle church door uh, at Wittenberg, Germany. And on this Reformation Sunday, I've actually been thinking about the hymn that we used uh, to open our worship today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, this hymn is easily, I think, one of Luther's best known and best loves, loved works. Uh, it's been translated into English at least 100 times, uh, in addition to translations into uh, more than 200 other languages. It's regularly sung in Christian traditions across the globe, a variety of denominations, and I can't think of any Reformation Sunday when we don't sing it, so it has become uh, certainly something we always do on Reformation Sunday. Now, what you may not know uh, is that A Mighty Fortress, uh, the hymn, is based on that uh, psalm that Rachel mentioned uh, in her children's sermon, Psalm 46, which we heard read earlier in the worship service. Some scholars have said that this was Martin Luther's favorite song. As one uh, scholar wrote, uh, during the dark and dangerous periods of the Reformation, Luther would turn to his trusted friend and ally, Philip Melanchthon, and exclaim, Let's sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. And eventually all that singing turned into our beloved hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now I want to take a moment to draw a couple of parallels between the psalm and the hymn to make some further points. The psalm opens with this, uh, and thank you, by the way, to those delightful uh, girls for making uh, a recording for today. You read that beautifully. Uh, it opens with these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, the psalmist tells us, we shall not fear. God, we are told, is in the midst of us. God is here with us. God will help when the morning dawns, and we are invited by the psalmist to pay attention to God's power and might. It says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The hymn picks up these same themes in a kind of paraphrase or a loose translation. It begins, of course, a mighty fortress is our God. Our God, in other words, is a place of refuge and safety. We are told that our own strength isn't enough, but that a champion comes to fight for us. Therefore, we don't need to be afraid. We tremble not, unmoved we stand, because the devils that fight against us cannot overpower us. Why? Because God fights by our side, which means that the kingdom will be ours forever. 
So the imagery in both the psalm and the hymn are based on protection, on safety, on God being a stronghold or a fortress for us and God fighting on our behalf, which raises, it seems to me, an interesting question. One of the most famous lines of Psalm 46, some would call it the climax or the high point of the psalm, is verse 10. Most of us know this verse in its most common translation, be still and know that I am God. And we tend, I think, understandably, to read this verse as a reminder to focus on peaceful and quiet meditation in a noisy world. And to be sure, that is an entirely appropriate and important way to read it. However, if most of the psalm is based on more warlike or fighting or martial imagery, the question I'd raise is whether be still is the best way to think of this phrase in its context. If we follow the military or martial imagery of the psalm, a different way to think of this phrase, which I will hasten to add is completely and entirely supported by the original Hebrew, would be words like this, let go or cease striving or even surrender. Or as one uh, English biblical translation puts it, stop your fighting. Now, the caricature, with good reason, of Luther is that he was a pugnacious man, someone who loved a good fight and someone who could give as good as he could get. So this idea of stop your fighting as it relates to Luther may seem unexpected or counterintuitive, but I want to submit this morning that in one of the most famous moments of his life, I actually think that is precisely what he did, stopped his fighting. To get to that moment, let me just back up again to the symbolic start of the Reformation, October 31st, 1517. Again, that's the date when Luther is said to have nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door at Wittenberg. I will tell you, the truth is, uh, despite our sort of legends to the contrary, the, the university community really did not take any notice of it. Uh, it was an invitation to an academic disputation. Do you know how many people showed up to it? Zero. Not a single one. Now, that said, for a variety of theological and political reasons, the theses did soon develop a powerful head of stream more broadly. They were quickly re reprinted, translated, and distributed throughout Germany and Europe, and the theses and Luther, Luther became very well known. They became both famous and infamous, and Luther made a lot of enemies in the process. Now, I am collapsing a whole lot of events here, but eventually, four years or nearly four years after Luther originally posted those theses, at an assembly of the entire empire called a diet in the city of Worms, sorry you German speakers for my uh, destroying that word, all of this finally caught up, caught up with Luther. The assembly gathered from late January to late May in 1521 to deal with all kinds of imperial business, and Luther was asked to appear on April 17th at 4 p.m. On that day, the presiding officer presented Luther with 25 of Luther's books, and he asked him two simple questions. First, are these your books? Second, are you ready to recant them? And do you know what Luther did? He said, um, can I have some more time? For real. Now, he was well prepared. His appearance wasn't a surprise. He knew he was expected there. He had planned for it. 
So no one really knows why Luther delayed, but even though they were a bit confused and surprised by his request, the officers gave Luther until the next day, April 18th, at 4 p.m. to show up again, so 24 hours later. Now again, scholars are not entirely sure or certain why Luther asked for this extra day, but I think it is entirely reasonable to assume that after four years of controversy, after four years of arguing, after four years of responding to and countering attacks, Luther was tired and worn out and exhausted. And I think there is a very good chance those words from Psalm 46 came to him. Again, not the usual be still translation, but the other ways of thinking of it that I mentioned. Let go, be at peace, surrender, stop your fighting. And implicit in all of those translations are the words of the rest of the psalm, you can stop fighting because I, your God, will fight for you. So the next day, April 18th, 1521, Luther got up in the presence of the most powerful people in the empire. And he spoke words that we almost always think of as fighting words. But I think they are better understood as words of surrender. Words in which Luther is surrendering the whole issue, the whole controversy, and even his whole life into the hands of God. Now here's what he said. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Now, legend has it that he concluded with, here I stand, I can do no other, or words to that effect, which supports the storyline of Luther, the fearless and defiant fighter. But it's interesting to note that most scholars actually believe he didn't say those words, but instead concluded with the words, I am finished. Perhaps he was thinking, I've let go of this, I've surrendered, it is now in God's hands, come what may. Now, there is far more to the story, of course, and it turned out that Luther was not finished. God still had work for him to do, and yes, he was courageous. Nothing I'm saying here takes that away from him, and yes, he went on to fight other battles. But always, I think, with the recognition and trust that God was doing the fighting for him, that he didn't need to bear the burden himself, which strikes me as a very good reminder for us on this Reformation Sunday about 500 years later. If you feel like you are engaged in battle, whatever it is, by yourself, all alone, with no one to stand up for you, perhaps Reformation Sunday is a chance for you too to put down your weapons, to let go, to surrender, and to stop fighting, trusting that the outcome of whatever you are facing is in the hands of God, who, as the hymn reminds us, is right there by our side. Amen.